Into the West, a Middle-Earth SBG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and today with me are Richard, Ian, and Alexander. In today's episode, we will be discussing Lurtz, the Urukai captain. And in our open topic, we will be talking about our top three bow or crossbow-wielding infantry warriors. Let's dive into Lurtz. Whom do you serve? Saruman. Alerts is a hero found in the Isengard army list. He is an Urukai infantry hero, 90 points. He has a movement of 6, fight 5, with a 3 plus shoot, strength 5, defense 6, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, courage 5. 3 might, 1 will, 1 fate, and he comes with armor, sword, and an Urukai bow. He has access to a shield for free, and he can call a Heroic March, Heroic Strike, Heroic Strength, and Heroic Challenge. He has one special rule called Find the Halflings. Any warband led by Lurtz does not have to roll in scenarios where they require a roll to arrive. Instead, Lurtz may choose the result. So, to me at least, this is like the ideal mid-tier hero kind of profile. For his points, like his profile and what he brings, like he gives you a little buff with uh, the warband deployment, which I think is really, really good for what he like, what his overall profile is. I think it's really solid, really good. That being said, I find that most people try and play him as like a high tier hero or like somebody you can go on and face like, like Aragons and Boromirs, and he's just going to fail in that kind of a role. He's not built for it. But as, like, a mid-tier support hero who maybe can go into them, like a big hero with a whole bunch of guys and friends and take it down, yeah, he can do it. But he can't go one-to-one against any of those other kind of heroes. But, yeah, th- three attacks at fight five, strength five is great. Like, that, that's a really solid base profile right there. And then march and strike, we love that. And then heroic challenge, I don't think you'd ever use it unless you're in the Legion. In which case, I would use it all the time against small heroes. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's uh, he definitely had a big makeover this edition. Last edition, he was sort of just a three might Urukai captain that had less defense, and it was kind of he was kind of plain. Um, he got a significant buff in this edition. I'm looking at his stat line, and it seems like he's decent in a lot of places, but he doesn't like specialize in anything. So his fight is five, which is decent but not high. His courage is five, which is decent but not high. He has defense 6 base, but it can't be increased with the shield because he already has an Urukai bow in his war gear. So 6 is kind of like, it's good, but not super high. He can't take a mount, so movement 6 and potentially 8 if he's um, taken with Maher, I think, or a, a drum. His speed can be increased, but he's a still a foot hero. So I think he's um, pretty good at a lot of things. Like He's pretty decent in a lot of things, but he's not like really good at any of them. I think increasing his speed with Mahur, I think that's only in the, the this legendary legion. But I think I think he's the only three attack, three wound Isengard hero. So I think that kind of carves out a niche for him. I think the issue with him is that being like the biggest fighty hero in the list, he's only three might, one will, one fate. And so I think that is kind of an issue in the Isengard list because they already don't have a lot of striking heroes and then you just don't have the option to kind of you know get like a big hero to kind of match up with what? like the big baddies they have a lot of striking heroes it's just they're all really weak they're i mean all there's, like the fight, there's the fight five well there's ugluk 
Oh, okay. Um, I guess there's not a lot of uh, Urukai striking heroes because I think more of the striking heroes are on the Dunlin side. Yeah, yeah. They they bring in a couple more. Yeah. I think the point Richard's trying to make is um, like this is Isengard's biggest beat stick, and he's not that big compared to uh, actual beat sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I do actually like the the special rule too, because it is a little bit different than Guritz and Madril. So you would think right off the bat that Madril and uh, Guritz has a better special rule because it affects the entire army. But I believe they only give you a plus one minus one, whereas uh, Lurtz essentially gives his warband in instant six. So. It's extremely useful if you place his warband last. Essentially, he can just go anywhere. You can ambush enemy warbands, or if you have a weaker warband that needs to be protected, you can jump in. So I, I think it is actually quite underrated. And Courage 5, he is the bravest Urukai too, so that's nothing to be scoffed at. Yeah, I'd like to find the halflings rule, but I think... In a lot of situations in, in Maelstrom games, I'm not always rolling to get that six. Like, usually I'm okay with a four or a five because there isn't like an exact point on the board edge that I really want to deploy on. And I'm okay if, as long as I can choose the side. So to me, like, it's still really good. I just think in most situations, you're okay with choosing the side for your hero, like the, the board edge side. I think in this edition, Lurtz's profile just really did what Isengard needed him to do, which was play up to what his expectations were, play up to his points cost. So he is that real solid mid-tier hero. Like you guys have mentioned, though, I think one of the biggest issues with him isn't specifically with Lurtz, but really with the list around him. There's no combat hero in the list bigger than him and so he's kind of forced to play that top combat hero role despite the fact that he is really kind of a secondary combat hero so you're going to end up throwing him into bigger heroes often even though his odds of success are on the lower end but you know he does a lot of things well shoot value three is, comes in handy from time to time, especially with the upgraded uh, Urukai bow over the orc bow from last edition. So, you know, his profile overall is, I think, quite good, and I like it quite a bit. I think the issue is more the list around him and how you're kind of forced to build that list. It's something that definitely is worth the discussion. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll set him squared an eight. I wish they FAQ'd him being able to throw the shield in his regular profile and then give the Legendary Legion another rule. Because it's just ridiculous to me. Like, only when he's with that specific force, Lurtz knows how to throw a shield. Otherwise, he's like, no, I don't know how to use throw shield ability. I can only shield with it. It's about that certain mindset, Richard. He's got to be able to, you know, run eight inches. And then he's like, ah, what if I... You know, what if I go for this motion with my arm? You know, maybe try. He's, he's been practicing on the baseball pitch a little bit when he's. I, I guess. I guess he had a eureka moment when he saw Aragorn. He's like, <laughs> "Oh wait!" He was like, "Oh, I can throw the shield." <laughs> he leveled up. So, I, I agree with you, and I and I and I disagree with you. Like the at least on the rating. So I, I say I, I'll probably put him at about an eight 
like for what he is and if you're using him correctly, right? Like we said, like you can't really put him into those big tier heroes unless he has support or like that hero's immobilized from Saruman or something, right? But for the role that he fills, he's really good. Like if he was in another list, he'd be great. So yeah, I, I think I'd rank him at about an eight. But I know how we said like a ten is basically an auto include. And honestly, I think I would include this guy like every time for what he brings. I think it's it's just it brings so much to the table for the points value. I don't see reason not to take it unless you're really really strapped for points. I he's like an eight for me, but also an auto include. So I think I disagree a little bit here. I know we went over like how much we like him and overall just a pretty solid profile. But I think I find that whenever I'm building an Isengard list, whenever I get to the higher points, like 800 or above, I want to kind of use bring in Saruman a lot of the times to be able to deal with the big beat sticks where Lurts can't really do much. And then you can't really fit in Lurts with Saruman because that just eats up too much points. Or you can't, it's hard to do it well. And then in the lower points, I guess that's where he shines a bit more. But personally, I guess my play style is I lean towards more of the cheaper captains, which can do almost as much as he can in a lot of the ways. He just, they, don't, they just don't have like three attack, three wounds. And for 90 points, I think it's good, but it's not great. So like compared to like some of the profiles we've reviewed in the past, similar points value like Dalamir, or I can't think of any other ones <laughs> off the top of my head, but I guess like Suladan is in a similar like points range and there's just head and shoulders above him, in my opinion. So I think I would give him like a seven just because on paper, he, he seems better than in reality for me. I think I'm going to sit on, on like a six for this one. He's the only hero of Valor from Isengard. And so if you want to ever ally an Isengard with another list, if it's not Saruman, it has to be him. Like I said earlier, he's kind of good at a lot of things, but not really specialized. So I feel like you end up paying premium for for having all those additions instead of just like him being good at one thing and you could just, you know, put him on the board and have them do that one thing. And being close to 100 points and having only one will, he can get shut down by magic pretty easily. And like Ian said, you're not going to throw him at like a Gilgalad or an LSR, especially when he doesn't have heroic defense. He kind of reminds me like a slightly cheaper Shagrat. He can munch troops, but he's only fight five, so you don't really want to throw him at a big hero. But he does bring some utility as well with a deployment bonus and good heroic actions. But yeah, I just think he's kind of like, he's like jack of all trades, sort of. Yeah, so probably sitting at a six for me. Okay, next let's move on to some army lists. And I think I'll be going with my army list first, which is a 500 points Lurts the Scout Legion. And uh, yeah, I just want to start off by saying I'm not a big fan of this Legion, (laughs) but I wanted to see if it could work at low points potentially. Yeah, like Richard said, I think the shield throw should be in the normal profile. And the fact that it's one of the three special rules for this legion and it only works two-thirds of the time it's kind of annoying um i also wish that the legion included the isengard army bonus you do not know pain you do not know fear because in the movie sarman says it to blurts his scouts in fellowship of the ring so it would make sense that it would be a part of this legion anyway my list is, is led by alerts who has to be the leader 
in his warband are eight Urukai scouts with shield, one Urukai scout with shield and banner, and six Urukai scouts with Urukai bow. Second warband is Ugluck with four Urukai scouts with shield and four Urukai scouts with bow. And last warband is Maher with one Urukai scout with no war gear and five Urukai scouts with shield, 500 points, 32 models, eight might, and 11 bows. So the idea with this list is since I don't have access to spear support, I wanted as many models as possible to take advantage of the 8-inch movement so I can wrap around my opponent's battle line and try to get some traps that way. So all of them move 8 inches in the list, and that is a decent amount of mobility. 32 models, I think it's above average for 500 points, and being able to take those strength 3 bows will help me out uh, before combat. And essentially, I'm just going to be relying on my heroes to do most of the fighting. Um, and I threw in the banner in there. I wasn't sure if I should have because it kind of cost me a couple models. But I felt like the heroes probably need it in order to win fights. And then Lurtz's role will be to use his Legendary Legion special rules to bully lesser heroes. I'll probably throw this shield to knock him over and then call a heroic challenge. And then that way, I won't be in danger of dying on the first turn if the other hero calls a heroic strike. And then the turn after, it'll be a strike off, and then hopefully Lurtz will be able to take down the enemy hero. That's kind of the idea of the list. Move really fast and trap my opponent's battle line. Jumping back to your banner comment, I think it is 100% necessary in this Legion just because, like you said, you don't have the spear supports. So you want to be able to make at least part of your line more reliable at winning fights and stuff like that. Or just being able to hold up. Like if you have an Urukai scout shielding with a banner behind and they've got three dice at fight four. That's pretty good for blocking off an area, right? While you're wrapping around it in another section. So yeah, I, I 100% think the banner is a good call. I think with Isengard, the banner is always a good call. In a list like this, like you said, shielding frequently and not having that spear support. I think it's, you know, it's never a mistake to have that banner in there. I, I agree. The list looks like a lot of fun. You've mentioned in previous episodes what you think of the Legion as a whole. But, you know, you have a real solid number of bows in there. At 500 points, I think very much like a couple of the other Legions, like um, Rangers of Athelion, at lower points, this list could really have a chance at winning some games. Because you do have three pretty capable heroes gotten on Maher's case a few times about only having two mites. But, you know, you've got two heroes here that can strike, so you can always have Ugluck occupy something larger if you don't want to put Lurts in that situation. Lots of shield, so you can easily play defense if you need to. Bows are always decent now that they're strength three, although they are only 18 inches. It, you might still get stuck chasing, but the good thing about this list is obviously you won't be chasing for very long with an eight-inch base movement and woodland creature. You'll be making up quite a bit of distance pretty quickly. I think having a base eight-inch move almost kind of makes up for not being able to have any cavalry. But all in all, I actually really like it at this point. It's level, and I think it's probably a hero of valor. I know this Legendary Legion often gets compared to the Ugluck Scouts Legion, and I've thought this in the past too instantly where this one would be inferior to Ugluck Scouts due to the hitting power that the Ugluck Scouts, where you get the plus one to wound with the orcs. But I, I actually think that for that one, it's a little tougher because half your army will move at move eight, and then one will move at move six. 
So it's hard to kind of move all together. So it's actually harder to utilize that bonus than you think. So I actually like this list where everyone just moves move eight. And you also have 32 models, which is great for 500 points. I know they're only D4 and D5, but yeah, just like with how important mobility is nowadays, I actually do really like it. And I think it can be competitive. And so I think this would be like a strong fortitude or like a low valor for me. I think I would go with a strong fortitude. And that's that's coming coming around a bit um, compared to when I first saw the Legendary Legion, where I didn't think it was very competitive at all. After looking at it again at lower points, I think I think it could work. Do you think that the main bonus to the Legendary Legion is the free upgrade? Because I know that none of us really love the Lurts upgrade in the Legion. So if you think about it, if I have 29 warriors in this list, I'm saving 29 points that I would have cost me to give them all the 8-inch move upgrade, which is like roughly four more models. But then yeah. how do you rate that on the heroes too? Like Lurts and Uglick get the 8-inch move as well. Yeah, exactly. Because that's that's pretty much priceless because you can't get yeah. that. And and also in a normal Isengard list where you take Mahur, you max out at 12 Marauders, which this one, you're going pretty much as many as you want. So right. that again, you can't price that. So I think that I do agree that that is the main value of the Legendary Legion. I think that special rule is worth at least like 30 to 40 points. So... I'm kind of in like the same boat as Richard, honestly. I'm stuck between a Fortitude and a Valor, but I think I know which way I'm leaning. The The lack of spears in the list sucks. <laughs> like, there's no other way to say it. That being said, your numbers are really decent. So you're at 32 models, which is really good for 500 points. And everybody's move 8. So you should be able to wrap around pretty easily. So it's not the worst you're just gonna have to have like some clever play and make sure you hold guys in reserve to go in and plug those gaps once your front line dies but it, it's it's gonna be like a careful balance it'll take some time to get used to the play style of this list but i think at this kind of points value 500 maybe maybe 600 i actually think the the legion could do really well as for your list itself i mean yeah you, you've got three really solid heroes for like really solid mid-tier heroes which is fine at 500 points and then you have the two that can strike so if somebody brings a really big heavy hitter, you've got tools to deal with that, especially with the the lurch throw shield thing, right? That can even if you just disable like an Elendil for a turn, that's huge. As and then yeah, you, you've got the banner in there, which is super handy. It it should help a lot with your mass fight four troops and you know the scenario victory points. And then eleven bows. I mean, they're strength three, which is really good and eighteen inches, which isn't great, but you're moving fast enough that you should be able to make that up pretty well. So you kind of have all the tools that I would want in like a 500 point list. You just don't have any spears, which is like the downfall of this list. But I actually really like it. I think I'm going to lean into a Valor. Yeah, which is surprising to me, honestly. But I think what Richard pointed out with the uh, the, the Uglix list where you kind of get the separation, you can get the separation of the Orcs, the orcs and the Arakai, so you don't really get to use that bonus as much, uh, is like a big point. So, yeah, that one might be better at, like, 400, but I really like this one at 500 right now. Huh, okay. I didn't expect uh, you guys to like it. <laughs> All right, next we have Ian's list, which is a 600-point pure Isengard list with alerts. Okay, so this list is kind of touching on a thing I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned before about trying to get, like, a whole bunch of three-attack heroes into a list. 
just to have all those threats everywhere. And I actually really like the way this one came out. Anyway, so uh, my first warband is Lertz, and I gave him the shield. Uh, he's going to be the army leader. In his warband, he has three berserkers, two Urukai warriors with pike, one Urukai warrior with a shield and a banner, and three Urukai warriors with crossbow. My second warband is Thryden with a horse, and he has three Dundalinding horsemen, three Urukai warriors with shield, two Urukai warriors with pike, and three Urukai warriors with crossbow. And my last warband is Gorolf Ironskin. And he has two Urukai Warriors with Pike, three Urukai Warriors with Crossbow, and two Crabane. So that comes to 600 points, 30 troops, which is 16 dead to break, 9 Might, 9 Crossbows, plus Lurtz's Bow. So, like I said, I'm trying to get those three heroes that can all get to three attacks. Like, Dryden doesn't have it, but he's got the horse, so he can actually hit harder than the rest of them, just because of the horse. So the heroes should be doing a lot of fighting in this list. They, they can all munch troops really well. Gorolf can go into enemy heroes and just tie them down for like a few turns if I need to, depending on if I get the charge or not. Because I, I think I've talked about this before with my Arvidui spiel a few episodes ago, but it's basically like if you get the charge off into a big enemy mounted hero, he can call the strike and he can be reasonably confident of being able to win that fight or at least not die, hopefully. Or if he gets charged by an enemy hero, he just calls the heroic defense for free. And he's got the three attacks and fight five. So he should be able to, like, you know, get close to that six. The crossbows are spread out to kind of do what Rainier was talking about. So I'll probably have, like, two sets of the crossbows shooting while one of the crossbows groups moves up. So then there's constantly, like, the shoot and scoot kind of thing. So they won't get stuck behind. As for mobility, I'm really happy with what I have in this list. Having the four guys on horse and then the two Crabane, as well as having Lurts with March, like... I really shouldn't be out of position with this list. I should be able to dictate pretty well with all that movement and the crossbows. And then, yeah, once you get into combat, the crossbows are going to have to do double time as like a front line. They're going to have to be fighting, which is kind of unfortunate, but it is what it is. They're just there to like tie down enemy troops and stuff while the heroes do all the killing. So they should be okay. As for the berserkers, the main reason I put them in there is just to get something with like a high courage. So I have something that can go after, like, if there's an enemy monster and I need something to charge it, they can do it. They also can act as, like, a little shock wave if I need to, like, with the heroes. Yeah, overall, I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's it's pretty well balanced, and then it can hit pretty hard with all three of those heroes. So the biggest weakness it has is that it is kind of a low defense army. Like, everybody's basically defense five, which is on the upper end of average, but it's still, they're going to die fast. So it's going to hit hard and die fast. But I think that's okay, considering all the tools that I have with, like, the mobility. It hard and die fast. Wasn't that a Bruce Willis movie or something? Pretty sure it was. <laughs> Maybe it was just die You're hard. Nearly there. I don't know. <laughs> it was just die hard, but it's great. Okay. That's the, the sixth movie I... that's coming out in a month. <laughs> ah. Okay, so I don't know much about Gorolf Ironskin, but I know that I definitely like the Lurz-Thryden combination. Because, you know, you can kind of plug Lurts into troops and let Thryden take on bigger assignments because he is a mounted hero. He has mighty blow. So I like him so long as you can keep your uh, priority moving in, in your direction. As somebody who likes balanced lists, I really like this list overall. Yeah, the lower defense is a little bit of a concern. And the Berserkers... Berserkers, really, I have yet to figure out. I haven't played a ton of Isengard this edition. I don't really know because they are defense 6 to O-Fire, but I think my biggest worry is just if you 
don't roll great with them. Now in close combat, they go down pretty quick. So they can be a pretty expensive if they don't roll well. But aside from that, I really like the overall balance of the list. I think this is a really solid fortitude. I guess Lurt's being a leader worries me. But at 600 points, he might still be safe. I'm really teetering between strong fortitude and low valor here. I'm, I'm going to have to give it a strong fortitude, I think. No, I, I looked at the list again a few times, and I'm going to move it to a, to a low valor. <laughs> I, yeah, I can never keep my original ranking. It never works that way for me. No. Ian, you were saying that a weakness to your list is the low defense. I mean, you have access to defense six because you're Isengard, right? So I think what I would do is, instead of taking Berserkers for the high courage roll, you put in a couple Husk Girls, they have Bodyguard, and then you won't have to take as many Pikemen. Then you it would free up some points from the Berserkers to uh, to take more shields. So I'm just going to address the, the defense thing quickly before you keep going, Charles. <sighs> The thing with when I was writing with this is that it kind of came to a balance between finding like how many Urukai Warriors with Pike I wanted and how many with Shield I wanted. And I kind of ended up with this. But like that being said, like I still only have six Pikes in the list. So like they're going to be like running all over the place trying to do stuff. So I I don't think I'd want to go less than that. And then as for the Urukais with Shield, they're kind of just there to maybe like block up an area. They're not really going to do the frontline duty anyway. And personally, I find after having fought Alexander's Urukai list for five years, half a decade, it's not really a defense six list. It kind of has that front line, but once you crack that front line, everything gets a lot more squishy anyway. So I don't think it would make a huge difference getting more shields in there. I think it might actually hurt this kind of a list because if I got more shields, then I lose the pikes. And then it means I have to do more wrapping around with my troops rather than like being able to rank up. So I, I don't know what the ideal balance is. I think that's more of a playtesting thing, but yeah. My thinking was just, I think Husk Girls might be a, a better pick than the Pikes because they have the bodyguard. The fight four is conditional, but then you also have the two-handed pierce that you could do. So it's, it's a little give and take. Mainly, I'm just trying to find an excuse to take out your Berserkers because uh, I'm not <laughs> a fan of them this edition. <laughs> okay, I forgot they could two-handed pierce. Maybe, maybe then. I like is, the rest of your list, yeah. Is there a special rule triggered on all Isengard heroes, or is it just Dunland? Just Dunland, and they have to be supporting, so they can't be yeah. in combat. Yeah, I mean, they don't really need to have the fight for. Oh, so, have, so they're never going to, like, the fight for is never going to be that useful then. Only unless when I they're supporting, have, they get it. Yeah, yeah, unless I want to have my front rank to faint. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like the rest of your list. I like the two Greybane in there and the Dunlanding Horsemen. The numbers are pretty decent. I. I'm going to say uh, Hero Fortitude uh, because of the, uh, the lower number of uh, Defense 6 and then the, because of the three Berserkers. So I guess chiming in on the Defense 6, I agree with Charles on this one actually too. I do prefer more shields, but that might be more due to my playstyle as well. It's not necessarily wrapping around, but I guess it's also an easier way to castle. And so my strategy, if I were to play this with more shields, would be stack up the pikes in certain key areas, and then the rest of the shieldmen can just shield away. And then also your three mini beat stick heroes can kind of grind away and kill the enemy troops. And I think that holds up a lot longer than just having like a thin line of D6. And then once they get into your pikes, yeah, like like Charles said, it's just really easy to chew through. But they're going to get into the pikes anyway, though. If they get a, a heroic move off or they get priority then once that front line goes down, they're going to get into the pikes no matter what. 
Well, not necessarily, because if you have a lot more shields than pikes, then you can position your pikes wherever you want. So your focal point doesn't actually have to be right facing the enemy big heroes. You know what I mean? So if you kind of position the pikes in an area that is facing off against the enemy troop line, then they can go against that. And then you force the enemy heroes to kind of chew through your shielding urks. But that, that would be kind of more my tactics, but you know, how you would micro control your troops, I think. So I, I don't really hold that against you. I, I actually really do like this list, like a lot. So Alex spoke about how he didn't know much about Gorolf. Well, he's incredible. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I think we've all talked about how much we like heroic defense. And this guy gets free heroic defenses. That is just so, so annoying. So, like, we talked about how Lurtz and also Thryden struggle against these big, beefy heroes. Well, Gorov, you don't care. You just throw him in. And then, you know, you can piercing strike as well for strength six. And then your defense goes down. Who cares? They still wound you on a six. <laughs> so... Throwing him in, like, very rarely would I go for the heroic strike because you just wait until the enemy hero flops their roll. And if you can win the fight naturally, then that's three attacks on strength six going against likely an enemy leader. But then if they win the fight, it's like they need straight sixes with no might modifiers. I mean, that's just a nuisance, right? And he, at 70 points, he's going to easily tar pit a hero like twice his points for like at least like four or five turns i just to inverse flame of the west yeah honestly but to follow up with that i think based on what you're saying is like he could he, you're right like he could tar pit a hero and then burn their resources and then you send in thryden with the mighty blow to do the damage because i actually really love that profile <laughs> you, you like your mighty blows. it's like grimbold but on horse <laughs> but it's better though because he doesn't have to use his two-handed weapon he has a sword that he can use mighty blow with and it's a single-handed sword so he can go up if you want him to like if you have something else to win the fight he can go up to strength six plus one to wound and mighty blow right or he can just fight normally with his strength five which is still great and then his sword and mighty blow so he he can put out a lot of damage for his points value i think he's fantastic he also has a 12-inch standfast, which is awesome. Oh, right. Yes. He's a really good, I think a bit underrated profile for sure. Yeah, so overall, I, um, I really like this list. I think one other thing that I might question a little bit is why the Dunland Horsemen over the Wargriders, I guess, to get the piercing strike. The piercing strike is handy. Well, they're cheap too, but they also just have... Aren't they uh, the same price? Uh, they're 12. Yeah, yeah. they also can reroll ones against mounts. Yeah, the reroll ones, that's like, whatever. It could be handy if you end up fighting a hero. But kind of what I want them to do in the list is just countercharge enemy heroes that are mounted just to kind of get rid of that their charge bonus if I need to, if they're going to fight like my smaller heroes like Gorolf or Alerts, but also Courage 3 over Courage 2. So if I need them to go off to objectives, they're just more reliable at sticking around. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, they're pretty equal in my eyes. It's just, you know, having the warg potentially stay around is nice but yeah i think they both have their pros and then i don't think the other guy spoke on this but the creebane you know i i think any flying unit now is going to be really good and having two of them yeah i like the mobility now in isengard yeah so uh overall valor for me 
I actually had more just like Pike and Shield guys in my list, and then I saw yours, and I was like, "Oh my god, Kerbane exists!" I gotta <laughs> try and like fit them in, so I changed it to have Kerbane. So that that's also kind of the reason why I don't have as many Pikes and Shields guys in there. But I don't think I need them because I have the Horseman, but they add a lot more. So yeah, I agree. I, I really like the Kerbane. I think. All right. So the next list will be Richard's list, which is a 800 point convenient alliance with Lurts. Okay. So starting out, surprise, surprise, we have Suladan on Armored Horse leading. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Never heard of this hero before. Hold on. <laughs> you, you pronounced Lurts wrong. <laughs> I'm confused. I, I'm getting to it. I don't <laughs> what episode is, is this? this? <laughs> Did I just time travel? <laughs> okay, so Suladan is leading three Haradrim warriors with bow, eight Haradrim warriors with spear, two serpent guard, three watchers of Karno with twin blades, two serpent riders, and then in the second warband we have Betrayer on horse, leading eight Haradrim warriors with bow, seven serpent guard, and then for you, Ian. We have Lurtz. <laughs> hey, there he is. Uh, Lurtz leading five Urukais with shield, five Urukai with crossbow, the demolition team, and one Kribane. So the funny thing is, originally, I had two Kribane in this list as well. And then I was talking to Charles about strategy. And then he was like, wait, are you trying to get the Kribane to carry the demo team around? <laughs> Fly the bomb around? Wait, 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 wait. wait. Airstrike! Oh my god. <laughs> Produce strategic bombers in Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah. You would need two Kribane for that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd never even thought of that, but could, that was could just... Because it's... Can they actually... They're, they're infantry. Yeah. I so guess. if you so... place your guys with a fiery oh, brand no. strategically in front... You could technically, like, have the Kribane, like, airdrop on that. But it's a really gimmicky and cool idea and could work some of the time. But after thinking about it, a lot of times if you're sacrificing two Kribane and most likely a Berserker, it's going to be really hard to get value back. Although that is a very scary and fun thought. I decided to not go with that <laughs> crazy tactic. So my overall strategy actually is like very similar to the strategy used in the Assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. So instead of ballistas, I'm trying to outshoot my opponent with a bunch of the Harad bows with the Betrayer. So I just have a gun line of Harad with poison bows and then Urukai crossbows. So then once they come running to me, I'll have the positional advantage to be able to position my demolition team in a way that their big hero isn't able to jump in easily into combat. And then I feel like I have good enough quality troops, like fight for all around pretty much. And also poison spears, once they come close, I'll have enough hitting damage to break the opposing player once they come in. And yeah, overall, I have 50 models in this list, 8 mites, and 17 bows and crossbows. So, thoughts? For your Serpent Horde side, are you maxed out on bows? I don't think you're quite at max. So I'm just thinking maybe if it was me, I would give the Watchers of Karna bows because they also have poison arrows so they could benefit from the Betrayer. Because you, you, you took them for the for like charging terror models, right? Because because yeah, of the courage bonus. Yeah. 
and the two attack they're to me like the budget berserkers they're kind of okay. doing what the berserkers are doing in ian's list but at a cheaper price right right okay yeah that makes sense because I, I was just thinking otherwise probably give them bows to uh, synergize with the betrayer but i agree i guess i i mean i could always change some of the haradrim warriors with spears to bows to get them axe bows i think yeah i mean i mean good point i might as well utilize the betrayers reroll to wound yeah i don't see anything that i would change on the Isengard side, like you said, you were thinking about taking more Cribane. I might consider that, but then you already have uh, two Serpent Riders, so I don't think you have to. The bomb strategy is really hard to counter, and I played the Isengard Legion a few times, so I kind of know like how hard to counter the bomb can be when your enemy is forced to move up, and their heroes are very, like, it's very hard for them to charge their heroes in safely when the lines clash. Um, so I think this strategy could definitely work. The thing that I just thought of now is that you also have magic support. I know the Betrayer isn't like the best caster, but you can still throw in a, a Compel here and there, even Drain Courage. So so yeah, you have quite a bit of utility. And then uh, Sudan is good in any list, and a 6-inch banner is just amazing. So I want to give this a Legend, but I might go with a Valor for now because I don't know if this one... I don't know if it looks better on paper than actually in-game. I'm not 100% sure. But I really like the idea, and I really think that it has a lot of tools, and it's pretty strong, so. What if I did take your suggestion to go with the double Kree-Bane kamikaze strategy? <laughs> would you upgrade me? I don't know if that would work either, because it sounds cool, but like you said, it takes perfect timing, and you would have to drop it in a spot where, like, a Berserker or a Flaming Brand model can reach. So I think I would be about the same rating. It would Well, just in defense of that, could, could, couldn't the Kree-Bane move up drop it and then move away from the bomb so if, then you're not risking them if they had sufficient movement so i guess in that way the threat range wouldn't be the full 12. yeah also are we sure that uh i guess they can because they're infantry just something sounds off there with them having fly but I'm no thinking like... i they 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 can i i made sure to <laughs> cross off all the loopholes are we no, sure we want to release this episode then? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to come back and everybody's going to be dropping bobs everywhere. I'm not encouraging people to do it. As dirty as I am, even I refuse to do that strategy. So you got to be pretty (laughs) cheesy to do this. (laughs) I just hate that it's going to be out there now, man. Somebody's going to do it. We're going to show up at Nova or something and there's just going to be like bombs being dropped everywhere. (laughs) I think you overestimate the amount of listeners we have. (laughs) It only takes one. <laughs> so I'm just I'm looking at your list again, and this warband of the betrayers is looking very familiar, Richard. <laughs> yeah, straight out of one of your lists. <laughs> it's got a lot of bows. <laughs> no, but I, I I do I do like that just because of oh wait no you don't get the army bonus though oh so you oh, are right. missing some hitting power with that oh right Charles I think that's why I didn't. It is max bow then, because I think this is, I think I calculated it as 33% bow. Yeah, it can't be 50%. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, and then your Hadrian Warriors don't get the poison weapons anymore. They only have their poison bows. Yeah, which is why I think I actually stacked in a lot of Serpent Guard. Yeah. They do have the poison spears. Yeah, you want the Serpent Guard more so than... So, actually, in that case, 
I think I actually might swap out the Horizon Warriors with Spear if you can like lose one of them and then just make them all Serpent Guard because that way you're going to leverage the Betrayer's Poison Bubble better. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd do that and then maybe... Yeah, I think I'd go for that because then the, otherwise the Betrayer's going to be good before combat when you're shooting but then once you get into combat the usefulness of his, um, of his Poison Bubble is going to go down a lot. As for the Watchers of Karna thing, I like them with the Twin Blaze. I think it's better. I've run them this edition with the bows, and they just feel kind of expensive for a three-up shot. Because everybody just, if you get into a bow war, everybody just targets them first and they die super quickly. So I think I'd rather have them with the blades and kind of run them up with my line and hide them behind stuff. And then charge them into terror-causing things or just add extra attacks where you need them on, like, the flanks. As for the, uh... I... I actually don't know if the alerts drop into this list makes it better or worse. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I would, like, lean towards worse, but then you throw in the demo team, and that kind of, like, tips it back a little bit, because it adds this extra, like, crazy thing into your list. And then you, you still have the Betrayer, right? So you still have that option to compel an enemy hero out or something expensive out, and then just blow a bomb up on them. So, uh, I think... I'm going Valor for this. Because, yeah, Suldan's great. You get the banner. You got good numbers for 800. Your might isn't great, but, like, the heroes that you have are pretty good. And, like, the heroic actions they have are pretty good. So, yeah. I guess your numbers aren't fantastic, though, because a lot of them are defense 4. It might jump up to something higher if I saw, like, it played out. But right now, I think I'm at Valor. One more, um, one more cheesy idea. Swap out one of your Watchers of Karna with Abrakan Guard because he has Burly and he'd be able to carry the bomb by himself. Then you, <laughs> then you would have uh, you would save your Urkai. You would you wouldn't have to use as many models. Yeah, that's not bad. Okay, yeah, definitely a good idea to throw in just one fat boy running around with the bomb. <laughs> Go here, it, would, it would actually be fun converting a model to an Abrakan Guard holding a bomb by himself on his back. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like you could turn it into a chamber pot instead. That's gross. <laughs> it just seems to make a lot more sense for one guy. Like if he was like running around or if you had the Golden King in there too, and then you've got him running around behind him with the chamber pot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, actually, uh, the rules here says that only models from an army with the demolition charge can carry it, so the fat boy strategy wouldn't work. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> so this episode can never air. We just, too much toothpaste has come out of the tube on this one. <laughs> like, we started off with alerts episode, and now it's like Krebin demo teams is now the theme of the episode. <laughs> this might be our biggest tangent since the Gandalf cart one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, this is a bigger tangent than the Gandalf cart. At least the Gandalf cart was about Gandalf. This is, <laughs> this list as a whole, this list as a whole is just, I really like it. I don't know how that Krebin demo team thing is going to work out for you, because quite frankly, it's completely untested. And I mean, it's a petrifying thought, a 12-inch move demo team. It's... Okay, let's start with the Haradrim. Let's start with the Haradrim. Let's go there. I really like that portion of the list. I really like the balance. You've obviously got a good number of Serpent Guard in there, good number of bows, get the poison rerolls from the Betrayer, his Master of Poisons special rule. 
Suladan, as we've talked about in numerous episodes, is possibly the best allying evil hero in the game. This alliance really helps you with Lurts because this way he's not your number one hero. And you can um, be a little bit more reckless with him, push that offensive ability. And I'm just not even going to touch on the demolition team over here because you might have just opened up a new meta that none of us expected. But aside from that, I really like it. It's a, it's a really good balance, strong alliance. Army has really solid mechanics with the archery, and I'm going to give it a valor and just leave it there. It's just like a well-rounded meal of steak and potatoes with a side of cheese. I think we need to make you write uh, another peer list, Richard, <laughs> in the next episode. Is it punishment time yes, again? punishment. <laughs> you might have started a meta, and for that, we're making you write peer lists. <laughs> this, is, this is Richard's version of um, Guahir carrying uh, Galadriel's mirror. Except Alex, Alex, I took out the Cree vein already. Don't don't you worry. I'm not doing a flying demo. But you'll open the can of worms. It's there. <laughs> the people know. The final list of the day will be Alexander's <laughs> list. <laughs> Someone's I, I excited. Love, I love how eventually Charles is just like, okay, we have to move on. This is becoming too this is just too much. You know, you know why it is? Because I'm getting all the blame when Charles actually came up with the idea. <laughs> He's trying to shift it. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Before people start asking the serious questions, I get it. <laughs> all right. So I was tasked with building an 800-point pure Isengard list with, of course, Lurts and having Saruman. And Saruman on horse, four Urukai warriors with shield, two with pike, one Urukai warrior with shield and banner, one warg rider with a shield, Ugluck, two warriors with shield, two with pike, six with crossbow, Lurts, four Urukai warriors with shield, two with pike, six with crossbow, and an Urukai shaman with armor, four Urukai warriors with shield, and two with pike, uh, 799 points, 40 models, break at 21. So ultimately, the idea that I had with this is, as was mentioned at the very beginning of the show, when we talked about building lists with Lurts in general and how Lurts fits into the dynamic of Isengard, I think it was Richard, you mentioned that building a list with Lurts and Saruman mathematically is very difficult, getting it to round out well because it's such an expensive combination. And that is an issue that I have struggled with since the new edition came out, when Lurtz became a 90-point hero. It's very difficult to put the two of them into the list and still get decent numbers, just because they do add up to so much. So I did try and find a way around that. This is a bit more of a defensive Isengard list. This is something I've actually seen you put together a few times. Not Isengard, but this kind of mechanic. So I've got, instead of even shields and pikes... I threw out this idea, I thought, okay, let's just try it. I'm going to try two-thirds shields, one-third pikes, in the hopes that what I'll do is allow my warriors to play more of a defensive role and shield more frequently. Almost kind of a castling situation. Because I have those dozen crossbows in two parts, I will do what Rainier had mentioned in our last episode, move half while I shoot with half. 
course, they cannot move and shoot in the same turn, so it takes a little bit more maneuvering from them. Because as Ian mentioned, is something that I have years and years of experience with, Isengard is not a strong defensive force across the board. Because if you play half and half, oftentimes once your opponent can crack the shell of your front line, you become defense five and the lines really start to disintegrate. So if I play with a majority of shields, spend more time shielding, live a little longer, and then hopefully Ugluck and Lurtz, uh, my two and three heroes, will be able to do a little bit more of the offensive work, munching on troops, being able to throw either one into heroes to strike, while Saruman from behind my lines transfixes things, compels things, maybe throws the occasional uh, sorcerer's blast to knock models off their mounts. And then, of course, the shaman just in there because, like Charles, I'm not a big fan of berserkers in this new edition, so I dropped them out of this list altogether, put the shaman in there in order to allow the fury bubble. You know, I don't know how well this would work just because those heroes are fight five, but I thought it was worth putting something together and trying to do that because otherwise I felt I either wouldn't have enough models or I wouldn't be able to put together enough of a balance to create a strong enough list to work around that. I don't think you did a terrible job fitting Saruman and Lurtz in the same list. I mean, you're at 42 models, and that's not bad for 800 points. I do think that if you want to play the strategy where you let the enemy come to you, you should take a couple more crossbows just so that you can guarantee you you outshoot most enemies. I would use that extra point that you have that you didn't spend in upgrading one of your warriors to crossbow. And then maybe rethink your uh, Ugluck choice, just because his head taker special rule, you're not really going to use it. Saruman already has the double standfast. So I would actually uh, consider one of the Dunlin heroes. Since you have Saruman, a Kurt 7 hero with double standfast, it's okay if some of your warriors aren't Isengard keyword, because if they have to test before the rest of your army, basically auto-pass anyway, so I don't think they all have to be Isengard keyword here. But your, your thinking on troop choices, your composition, makes a lot of sense to me. I would prefer to just throw in a couple of Huskirls and just not take the Shaman, so that you could replace it with a hero with more might, so you could get your might up to over 10. I think that would be pretty strong. Overall, it's not a bad list, it's got a little bit of everything. Just the hero choices, I would uh, maybe rethink it and uh, maybe take like Thryden or Gorolf instead of Ugluck and the Shaman. Hero of Fortitude rating. And I, I assume, Lurtz, you're taking the shield, right? It's free, so why not? Yeah, of okay. course, he's, he's got a shield. In the most common pose, in the one that I own, he already is holding a shield. It doesn't okay. affect his defense anyways, he's only defense 6, so... Yeah, unless someone chooses to shatter his bow, then then he goes up to defense seven. <laughs> Magnificent. <Okay. laughs> then All he's right, truly yeah. unstoppable. So when you talk about like the strategy that I mentioned before in taking more shield than pike, I think this actually, in my opinion, works for Ian's list, but maybe a little harder to accomplish for yours. Because like you were saying, it makes your army very, very defensive. And usually you want some very big beat sticks to be able to carry that offensive burden that you'll need to break the enemy list. Because if you're shielding with most of your troops, you won't be getting much kills. And personally, I just don't think Ugluck and Lurts do the job there. 
So I actually would prefer probably a more standard shield wall, like with maybe close to even amount of pikes behind the, the Urukai shields, because I think in your particular list, with Saruman neutralizing the enemy beat stick, it's already defensive enough to a point where you want to be relying on most of your normal Urukai to get you kills. So I think just overall, maybe the game plan, I think I would change up a little bit. And I also agree with Charles about the Ugluck pick. I just feel like him and Saruman together is kind of redundant. So Gorolf, Frida, you know, if you have extra points, Thryden, maybe even Mahur could be an interesting choice because if you're just using it to grind out troops, Mahur has three attacks. And you can take a couple scouts as your mobility because, I mean, you have one Wargrider, but you could go the route where you take a couple Marauders instead. I, I think it's a decent list, but I think there's probably some changes I would do if I were taking this to like a very competitive tournament. So I'd also go with the Fortitude. Hmm. I like this list, but I'm kind of inclined to agree with Charles that maybe the hero well, I guess then, Richard, the, the hero picks aren't great. I do like the Shaman, though. <laughs> and I know I defended Oglik <laughs> way back. But yeah, at this level, maybe a different hero would serve you better. Yeah, I think I, I'd, I'd maybe just go for Gorolf would probably be my pick. Because you, you already have the Heroic March with Lurts. So other than that, yeah... I mean, 42 models is really good considering that they're, they're all Urukai, right? But then you're a little bit short on mobility. So I think I'd probably just drop it down to 40 models instead of 42 and use those extra points to swap Uglik for somebody and then get some more Wargriders or a Kurbane or something in there, swap some guys out for Kurbane. Yeah, it, it's pretty solid list. I don't know. Oh, okay. I know who I would swap Uglik out for, actually. I think I'd go for Thryden instead. You'd probably go down to like 38 guys and then you'd get a bit more mobility and Thryden in there. But then you get the mounted hero. And also Saruman has that huge, crazy range compel with the reroll. So if you combo that with Thryden with his mighty blow, I think you could quite easily flash kill an enemy hero if they're a little bit sloppy, which it just adds a really good tool to your toolbox. Oh, so now... Ooh, kinda... What about what about Sharku? For another mounted hero, he might actually save a little bit of points too. It's Shark like is it's... okay, and he's actually a little bit cheeky just because of his um, his ability to cause strength four strikes against models that fail to wound him. So he he can be good. Yeah, and and I don't think strike is as important when you have a wizard in your list. Rasku is not bad either because if you're going for the shooting strategy and let your opponent come to you. The thing is, this list is something that honestly, like the 800-point Isengard list that has Saruman and Lurts in it, has been a two-year work in progress for me. Since the new edition, trying to figure out how to do that has been just a constant evolution. I think the consensus here is, Ugluck for any other hero in the Isengard list, man, <laughs> your list will be better. <laughs> um, I wanted to go Valor but I'm kind of sliding back to Fortitude, which is unfortunate, but it's like a strong Fortitude. It's really close to Valor. Play around with it a little bit and boost it up. I think it would be really good. It could be pretty good. The second thing I want to say is, I know we, we're kind of talking about Saruman a little bit now, so just 
briefly on that tangent. Do you guys think if you comboed him with an Isengard troll, that would be a good way to make use of him? Because then you can you have something like a really big thing that can hit hard, and then you can make use of his like compelling and then jab. I don't think so. I've tried it a good number of times, and my biggest problem with things like an Isengard troll is it's quite a lot of points for something that can't resist magic. And if your opponent manages to just bog it down with something, it really, in a lot of games, can get stuck really not doing very much. And it takes pretty strong maneuvering, I find, to be able to line it up with Saruman's compels. It can. It can be very strong when it does work. It's just that getting it to sometimes is a lot more difficult in-game than it is on paper. I think I disagree a little bit there. Not to go too much into it, because we'll probably do a Saruman episode, but I think, I mean, sometimes it might be tough to get value out of, like, an Isengard troll, but I think if you were to run an Isengard troll, I do like the combo with Saruman, because you could also Sorcerer's Blast people in his combat, and then he wouldn't be knocked down. So if he's fighting a hero, then you just eliminate that risk of your troll dying. Yeah. Never thought about that Sorcerer's Blast thing. I like it. Icky, but I like it. All right, let's move on to our open topic, which is our favorite bow arm warriors. So in today's open topic, we will be discussing our favorite bow and crossbow armed warrior models. And each of us have selected three favorite and um, before we go into which um, bow-armed infantry warriors are our favorites, let's do a runners-up. Yeah, so are there any that any of you guys want to shout out that didn't make your top three? So, yeah, I, I had one honorable mention, um, and that is the humble little angry fisherman, Lake Town Militia with bow. Just because they are so cheap, and the list that they're in, can, you can build towards it. So they're only six points, and you can get a lot of them, which is good. So it doesn't matter that they're only hitting on fours, right? Because if you have, you know, 15 to 20 of them, depending on like 600 to 800 points, that's a lot of bow shots coming in. But then you add on the fact that you're probably going to have Gandalf in there with the blinding light, so it doesn't matter that they're defense four, because you're not going to take a lot of bowfire coming back. Also, Gandalf can source his blast if anybody tries to come in and close distance to them. But then you've got Bard in there taking pot shots with a strength four bow um, with a ton of might. And then you can also, if you really want to buff your archers, you can throw in Percy, who is another hero with a bow, but also he lets you reroll ones to hit. So you can get a surprisingly effective shooting list. Also, same kind of deal with the Lake Town Guard. You can just get a lot of them in the list, which I think we covered in our Thorns Company uh, episode. Are they the same stat line as like a Rohan archer and same points cost? Um, one point cheaper. One point cheaper. Because okay. the militia are only fight two. But like right, they yeah. still get the bard bonus. Right. So Yeah, they're, they're quite yeah. spammy for a just a standard like four plus twenty-four inch uh strength two bow for sure. Yeah. I like that. I, I think they're definitely above average. One that I wanted to mention that didn't make it in that I really like the look of is the Urukai Scout with Bow. I think it adds a lot of versatility that often doesn't get mentioned. Now, in previous editions, obviously, it was just an orc bow. It was strength two. Now, with the addition of an Urukai bow, it is strength three. Of course, it's still only 18 inches. But for two fewer points than an Urukai crossbow, you get 
18 inch range, strength three, and you can move and shoot in the same turn. Now, for the vast majority of the time, you want to take crossbows. They're stronger. They're 24 inch range. However, the ability to include archery in a list that's more mobile, I think it's worth mentioning because I feel like it doesn't get very much attention, but it does bring some much-needed uh, versatility to the list. They're worth it if you're looking to save a few points here and there. I think that's a good show. I mean, it's uh, pretty on topic, too, because Charles took a couple in his list today. I just want to add on that you can also, if you take Marauders with Mahur or in the two legendary legions we mentioned today in Lurts Scouts and Uglux Scouts, they can move eight base and then also move four while shooting. And then Isengard's also a list that you can pair drums with. So it just makes like the kiting potential for this really, really good. If you have March, Drum, uh, Marauder upgrade... I mean, you're talking about running faster than a normal infantry troop while shooting. So I think it's a, it's definitely a pretty fun option. Yeah, pretty good for how hard they hit. Yeah, I, definitely a good shout out. Just because I find like a lot of times when you're playing against Isengard lists is you'll end up with the crossbows sitting back. So then when combat hits, the crossbows can't do much or they're trying to shoot into combat. And then if they try to rush in, they're like two or three turns away from it. So they get there. And then everybody's dead, so they don't get there to have an impact. So on paper, I actually really like the scouts with a bow. I'm not sure how that would translate into reality. I'm sure there's a good way to write it outside of a legion, but definitely in the legions. Yeah, they're really good. I guess the one I wanted to shout out was the Hobbit Archer. This edition, they kind of went down from 24-inch to 18-inch, so they're not, like, broken but they're still good for um, for five points. You, you get a three plus to hit archer that you can spam out just because the militia are only four points. So typically in a in like a 500 list, you can get close to t- close to or over 20 of them. And uh, they're responsible for uh, most of the damage of a Shire list. So I think they're still they're still pretty good, even though they went up in points and went down in range. OK, Alex, do you want to go with your top three bowmen? Sure. Um, OK. So I think I might have actually flipped a couple of them here. I'd actually rank the Haradrim Archer third. They're in a list where obviously they obviously have poison arrows and you cross them with the Betrayers, that Master of Poison special rule, and suddenly you can have up to a mass of half your army shooting, re-rolling all failed wound rolls in a turn. While they might be just a standard strength two bow, when you're re-rolling all failed wound rolls, they can do an absolute ton of damage. In most turns, they'll just do fine, uh, but sometimes they really break a game wide open, and they can be pretty much the entire strategy can be built around them. They build a really solid core of an army. Then I'd probably say a Dwarf Ranger, just because, obviously, Kingdom of Khazadum has no mounted models, no spear supports, and they have low mobility overall. So when you have a troop option that's on par with the rest of the army in terms of point cost, and you have full 24-inch range at strength 2, hitting on a 3-up, they are, the, I believe, the best option in a list when it comes to getting your opponent to come to you excluding the Dwarf Ballista from this discussion. 
just because that is a much larger portion of an army and how you would build around it as opposed to dwarf rangers where you plug in a standard handful. It limits your opponent's ability to run from you when you are able to hit them at that range. So it mitigates some of the issues that dwarves have pretty effectively when you have them in decent numbers. And then uh, first I've got Rangers of Gondor, because in an army that has a lot of fight three, the Rangers of Gondor are really just kind of an all-round toolbox. They're the Swiss army knife. You go in, they hit on threes, they have full bow range, they have the ability to take spears, and they're fight four. So you can start them off in the back, drawing your opponent to you with pretty strong bow fire, and then once combat hits, you can throw them into the back to get your fight four support. So they can go from early game to end game, always being effective somewhere. They're just really solid front to back. So I actually picked the same three as Alexander did. My ordering is a little different. I put Dwarf Rangers at number three because I just think you're getting a really good stat line for the points. So there's seven points base, eight with a bow, which is uh, the same points as a Ranger of Gondor. They basically swap the the six-inch move for uh, one more defense. Defense 5, although it's, it seems kind of low for uh, Khazadum, it's pretty good for a 3-up shoot archer. It's a, it Essentially, it's equal to any of the elf archers that are also defense 5. So they can pack pretty uh, hard-hitting firepower if you take enough of them, because Khazadum warriors can be pretty cheap, and it is somewhat of a spammable army. So at high points, you can have a good like 10 to 15 of these guys if you wanted to. Yeah, I just prefer them to the regular dwarf archers because I think you need that range just because you you lack the mobility. So having the 24-inch range is really good, and it's at a really good price. Second pick is Rangers of Gondor. And uh, one, obviously, because it's in the Legendary Legion that's so good at low points, you kind of see them at their full potential. But in a regular Minas Tirith, they're also really solid. It's a really easy way of um, slipping in Fight 4, especially if you take Boromir, then it's an easy way to get Fight 5. They're cheaper than any of the uh, elites that Minas Tirith has, so it's it's like a economic way to get a fight five battle line. Also, I like them better than the Citadel Guard, so I think they're also the most cost efficient shooting unit. Plus, they have the the spear, which I really like for soft archers because that means that when combat begins, you don't have to throw them in. They can kind of sit in the back and avoid being exposed. And my number one is the Warrior of Harad with bow. It's mostly because of the army it's in, the incredible army bonus allowing them to have 50% bows, as well as the Serpent Horde being a spam list. So you could have pretty high numbers, and because you're at 50% bow limit, you can have a lot of these guys. And and with the rerolls, the Betrayer buff, they can just take out a lot of models, and they can outshoot most armies, I find. This is also all in just a 7-point warrior, which I think is incredible. So, yeah, those are my top three picks. So, I can talk about the Warriors of Red too, but I'll, I'll get to that later. I like the Ranger of Gondor pick for both of you guys. It's, it's a really, they are really solid, and they are like a staple in a lot of lists, right? I think generally whenever I can take them, I always do take the maximum, and I, and I would take them most of the time over Citadel Guard, unless there's a couple like niche cases. 
I think if I'm going to ally in like a small contingent of Gondor and maybe I want some bodyguard troops with bow to sit on objectives, then I'd go Citadel Guard. But for the most part, I think I'd rather have a ranger with spear. I agree with that. The dwarf ranger is an interesting pick for me. But I see what you're saying, considering they are so cheap at defense five, that is pretty good. And like they still have the fight four too. Okay, and yeah. piercing strike as well. Oh yeah, do they have axes? Yeah, I guess they would have axes, eh? Hmm. Because I know, I think I, some people have talked about giving all your dwarf rangers bows and the two-handed axes, so then when combat hits, they go in and they can do your heavy hitting for you. I don't know about that, but it's an interesting idea. But, okay, yeah, I can see what you're saying, considering they, they can be so spammable. So, yeah, okay, that, that's, a, that's a good pick. That's, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I really like your guys' uh, Warrior of Harad and Ranger of Gondor picks. I think, I think Ian also... All three of you guys included the Harad Warrior. I think those barely missed my list. Like, they were pretty close. I think my issue with them is that they have D4. And I think when they get into a shoot war sometimes, especially if the opposing player has blinding light, they they just fall to the opposing archers. Like, let's say um, we go to the Lake Town Militia with, like, a Gandalf or something. Like, they're not, like, a top, top tier bowman. But that would outshoot sometimes the Harad gunline or even some um, ranger lists. Just because once you start wounding uh, opposing archers on a 5+, plus, they just they could go down pretty quick. But I guess it's a little bit mitigated because of the numbers. Because you can really spam out. Because like Warrior of Harad, like you said, you could get 50% bows. And then Ranger of Gondor, especially take it in Rangers of Athelion, you could pretty much go 100% bows. So, yeah, I, I guess they're definitely strong choices. I think they would be in my top five. Would you like to go with your picks? Uh, I was actually going to say, can we save Richards for last? Because there's a bit of controversy in there. Sure. <laughs> with your number one pick. So I think we want to save a bit of time for a discussion for that. Only you um, think it's controversial. <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. We'll find out soon. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, just into my picks, but also kind of back on the Herad Warrior. I have him at my number three spot. All the reasons Charles said, like the and, and Alex, they're 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 really good for that. But then just like their points cost, considering they are only seven points, you can get a ton of them in a Serpent Horde list. And then because of the army bonus, it gives them poison weapons in combat too. So if you combo that with the Betrayer, like you're saying, they make really good frontline troops. Usually your archers don't. But because of the, the reroll with the Betrayer, if he always is putting that up, you're just rolling tons of dice to wound. So if you back them up with a fight for a warrior behind, they become excellent combat troops. And you don't really care if they die because they're only seven points. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for them. In my number two pick, I have the Blackroot Veil Archer. This is, I guess, the counter, the good side counterpart to the Red Warrior because they can get three rolls to wound. But they will hit a lot more and they are basically the same points cost i think they're eight points or nine if you give them a spear but they hit on threes and they can get reroll ones to wound when they're close to doing here and they don't move so that's a lot of hits if you, if you bulk them out which usually you can depending on how you're building your fiefdoms list you can get a lot of them so say you have even like a dozen of them hitting on threes rerolling ones and then they're all rerolling to wound because of uh they're under the effects of a heroic shoot <laughs> That's a lot of damage. <laughs> like, I've seen these guys just dissolve lines before at flanks. It, it's it's pretty gross. So, yeah, I, I, I think that they're excellent troop choice. And then my number one spot, here it is, a high elf. The simple high elf warrior with a bow. 
I knew I was going to have one elf on this list at least. Uh, I was trying to figure out which one came out better. And in the end, I just I ended up going for the high elf. Well, two reasons. They basically always going to have blinding light with them because almost every list you take with high elves, you're going to have Kirdan in it. Or probably maybe you'll ally somebody like a Gladiator Lady of Light in to give like protect your big heroes. So they're almost always going to have that effect around them. And then if they have their army bonus, they're going to get tons and tons of hits because they reroll hits. So they're not going to get hit a lot, and they're going to hit you, you know, like, if they have 10 shots, they'll hit you with 9 of them every round at strength 3. Like, again, that, that can just do a lot of damage to uh, to enemy troops, so. And then, you know, you throw them into combat later on, too, and they're, they're, still, they're still an elf, right? They still have their hand-and-a-half weapon and solid defense, solid fight value, so I think they're really good. Yeah, I just want to add in quickly the high elf warrior, or all elves in general, just having the woodland creature as well especially for the bowmen, is quite useful. Because usually um, objectives can be sometimes in terrain, and it's just the most useful to have throw throw like a couple archers onto one objective, hit in their way, or if you want a castle behind some terrain. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an underrated rule. So the High Elf Warrior, interesting number one pick. It didn't enter my mind, because when I think Rivendell, I think like a mid to lower model count army so while i like the army bonus i haven't played a rivendell army where i felt like my opponent took full advantage of the army bonus it just feels like they can hit the maybe the 10 to 12 archers and then they maybe use it once or twice because it requires your leader to not move i believe the the bowman can't move the leader can move the the leader can move but the bowman can't okay yeah so if your leader's on a horse which in rivendell usually is you can kind of like run your leader over to the bowman for a turn and then run them back it's not going to hurt you too much but i agree you don't get to use it a ton so yeah so it's good it's definitely it's definitely i would say probably the best uh out of the elves but yeah surprising number one pick number two i i respect anyone who puts uh black root veil archer as their top three i I know how hard they can hit, and uh, <laughs> but it's just it, to me, it seems like a pick that is really buff dependent on its own. It's a three plus to hit a strength two archer. I mean, for, for its points, it's not bad, but the stat line, I really, I really don't like the fight three and the courage two. That's probably the the reason why I didn't make my top three. It's just the the profile is just not very reliable, but they can hit pretty hard if you have the right heroes to set them up. Just yeah. to rise in their defense a little bit. I think they are definitely better in a pure fiefdoms list or a green alliance one because then you get the buffs from like Forlong because he has a horn so the courage goes up or if they're close to Angbor they'll get the fearless bubble. And then also on Richard's points these guys kind of have, well they have Mountain Dweller which isn't as good as Woodland Creature but I think it could still be handy in very niche situations. But yeah I agree with you like the, the courage too isn't great. Don't, don't they also have a rule where they do more damage to monsters? Uh, that's just Duanir himself. So these guys just get the reroll to wound, uh, but Duanir does D3 wounds rather than one against monsters. Okay. That was old edition. All right. We're we go on to Richard's picks. Okay. So my third one is the Blackroot Veil Archer. So won't go too much more in depth as we just covered it with Ian's. So I think overall, just my picks... They might not be the most points efficient, but I think just they bring a very unique role to the list that they're in. And a lot of the times I feel like 
the list that they come in. The strategy to win is really heavily based upon these guys. So the Blackroot Veil Archer, especially if you go max bows in a pure fiefdoms list, like that's one of your win conditions, just to shoot out the opponents or heavily soften them before they hit combat. So it doesn't matter if they're only fight three and they're useless in combat, because if you can take out like a warband or maybe like a hero or two, then you're good to go. So for my second one, I have the Corsair Arbalister. I think crossbows are just really good with the strength four, especially now when, you know, getting that like defense six and defend eight models. And I think they have a big role in the Corsair list. With the list being almost fully like defense three and defense four, they're the only troop in that list except from black Numenorians who can get up to the defense six. So not only can you do what normal crossbows do, but you you also act as the shield wall line, whether you're charging in or you get into a shoot war. And I just think that they're really good for their points cost. And they work really well in a Corsair list. So my number one, according to Ian, very controversial, I have the Warrior of Dale. So the way I look at it is that with the Eskaroth bow, and if you're playing it in a pure or a green alliance, so you get the army bonus, uh, you get the three plus shoot, strength three bow at 24 inch range for nine points. So sure, you don't get the courage of an elf and you only get fight four, but you're saving two points on every bowman. And for a list that really wants to spam out, I think that becomes your major strategy. And at the end of the day, you'll end up with a lot more bows than your elf counterparts. So I think what Charles mentioned earlier with the high elf warrior is that in the Rivenel list, they're not a spammy list. So there's only so many bows you can get. Well, these warriors of Dale, they're essentially just like, an elf bow that you can spam out in. So I think it could be really scary. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I'm saying that the list is good. I think this list is pretty, pretty bad. But these bowmen, I think, are top tier. Uh, I can see I can see where you're coming from with the Warrior Dale with bow. They do start at defense four, though, so a little bit lower than the elves. But nine points, yeah, I would still say they're more cost efficient if, if you're just taking them for the shooting power. Compare with my pick with the Dwarf Ranger at 8 points. I've, I have one more defense, but you have one more strength on the bow. Yeah, I think I think it's still a solid pick. I wouldn't have thought of it, and can't wait to hear what Ian says about it. And I like the Corsair Arbalester pick. Them being the cheapest crossbows and going up to defense 6, they, you can really just like bunker a position and win a shoot war that way. It could take a lot of them. And in combat, they have the backstabbers, too. They go down to defense three, which makes them uh, kind of soft. But the way you play Corsairs, um, you're not worried about that. Yeah, I really like the Arbalester pick, too. They're just, uh, yeah, they're a hard-hitting shooting force with defense six against shooting. So it's, like, strong both offensively and defensively from range. They're a, a tough unit to beat, I think, especially if you look at lists that uh, Rainier brought last week, you know, having lots of them makes it really difficult to beat them. So you said earlier that it's like a good thing to enhance the list. Like those are your picks. Like that's why you picked the, the Arbalesters and the uh, the Warriors of Dale. 
And in the case of the Arbalesters, yeah, I, I agree. I think it is like it enhances the list and it gives you an extra tool and and they add a lot of stuff to the list. But like for Dale, it, it's like your only thing that you have is that shooting. So and um, and that's why it's a bad list. <laughs> I see. Well, that's the other thing is is I'm inclined to agree with you a bit that it can actually be like pretty good, but I think that would be at like 350 points or 400 points. Because then you can capitalize on the cheapness of the warriors and the fact that you have a lot of fight four guys is 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 pretty good if you have like twenty five of them at five hundred points or three hundred fifty points even like Garyan and a captain and then you just spam out your troops and you get a lot of bows in there that could be pretty good and I don't know if I necessarily agree with the choice but yeah I can I can respect it from that kind of an angle I mean. The Ranger of Gondor is seven points, right? Uh, eight base. Eight, eight base. Eight base. So I guess the difference is one point, and you're getting a strength three bow. I don't think that's a bad deal. And if well, they're you... they're one point cheaper than the Ranger of Gondor, so they are they're the same points as the Ranger of Gondor with bow. If you put on the Esgaroth bow, right? So the Esgaroth are two points. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, you... but but the Warrior Dale is one point cheaper base for the same stat line. So I guess you can argue come... that they're they're Ranger just the as efficient. Points. Yeah, and yeah. Azeroth Warrior with the bow is nine points. Oh, Ranger would have to take the spear yeah, to get to nine. The spear, okay. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Yeah, just because of the strength three, I think that is kind of worth that one point. I guess considering the profile. But yeah, I at super low points. Yeah, like 300, 350, They might actually be kind of gross because you can pack in a lot of really efficient shots. Okay, yeah, fair enough. All right, this has been our discussion of our top bow-armed infantry warriors. Thank you all for listening. Look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast.